Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Now we're starting a brand new year and many of us, many of us look at our lives, our home space and say, yeah, I think I need a change. I need a, a breath of fresh air, especially when it comes to your living space or your workspace. We spend so much time in these areas. Shouldn't it be warm, inviting, personal, comfortable? I truly believe it should be. You should have a certain feel when you walk into those spaces. And we can achieve that by changing up the design of your interior. I found somebody who is an amazing interior designer. She's also a a business writer. And she's with us today. We're going to talk about some of the different trends and different things that you can do. And and the whole process with Jennifer Rode joining us. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Hi, I'm well, thank you. I love what you do, and I truly mean that. I have such an appreciation for the way things go together when you when you enter a home, and it's just a certain feel that 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 the way things are put together. Sometimes you can't put your finger on it, but you get a certain vibe. I guess it's the energy within. Do you feel that sometimes when you walk into areas, and is that your goal when you're? redesigning the uh, interior of a home or living space? My biggest goal, both for my own home and for the spaces for my clients, is that when you walk in, you learn something about the people that live there. Mm. That it doesn't... I don't want somebody to walk into a space and say, oh, that was designed by Jennifer Rohde. I want them to walk in and say, wow, these people you know, look at this art piece or what's the story behind that dresser. Um, I want them to, I want the books and the art and the photos and and all of the, the life things in the home to help tell the story of how these people live and where they've been and what they've done. I, I like it to really represent the people who live there. I love what you do in that you're so detail-oriented, but you don't make it obvious. What do I mean by that? I'm on your website, jenniferrohde.com, and I randomly just picked a farmhouse in Colorado, and lots of teal. Teal is the, the predominant color, and as I'm looking a little bit closer, there's a, I call it some wall art, and, and it looks like... Um, it's just yarn, white yarn string, just very, very pretty and very sort of rustic looking. But then when you look closer, there's teal threads going through it. And I was like, oh, love it. Ties the whole thing together. Like literally ties the whole thing together. <laughs> Beautiful. And tell, tell us about that project. That was really fun. Um, that's a, a yarn piece, a knotted yarn piece by Erica Green, who is a local boulder artist and um, I love having things on the walls beyond just paintings or photographs um, there's so many textures you can can do and I, her work I think is so warm and um, brings dimension but also very calming for the room um, and I love that you saw the little the little teal yarns because um, it was really subtle they're very skinny compared to the rest of it and you don't see it from afar so that's yeah, you're right, because I'm, I'm looking at a distant picture of that uh, piece, and I don't see it. But then when you look a little bit closer, there's a close-up of it. Uh, then it all comes out. It looks, uh, it just it just adds that, that little finishing touch to the, the entire project. 
How do you decide on the color? Now, we're talking about teal, and it looks like two different shades of teal or teal and a type of blue, but they, they definitely work fantastic together. How do you decide on color? A lot of it is um, dependent on what colors resonate for my client. Um, That that particular client really loved those kind of blue, teal, that range. And so, um, you know, that's where we started. And uh, in the beginning of a project, you always kind of have to find the thing that you're going to put a stake in the ground for. And whether that's an art piece or a particular color or um, some kind of wooden thing or whatever it is, but then um, building off of that. So for them, that we really started with that color. What's your favorite colors to work with? I mean, in my own house, I love pink and orange and red. Uh, um, I like happy colors for my, for my house. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm in my office a studio. It's in an office building. I'm looking forward right now and it's orange on my wall. Mm-hmm. Love it. Uh, and it's, and there's something vibrant about it and it's not, I'm not, it's not a crazy, I think it's called Koi. That's the car, the name of the color. And I, I pair that with a gray and they, they just kind of work together where one is vibrant, one is a little subdued, but it's, I'm fascinated how colors work together once you nail the combination. When you're working, do you go to a color wheel? Do you look at those colors, what are complementary to each other? Or does it just kind of, after after a lot of practice, a lot of experience, it just come naturally? Um, I think sometimes colors that you might not think will work together do. It's more when I see them um, together, you just get a feeling. Um, so it's always important uh, when you're sourcing sofas or chairs or anything upholstered that you have or rugs that you have swatches of the actual uh, fabrics or textures so that you can see it because it's so hard on, on a computer, you know, when you, if you're sourcing things online. It's really important to see it all live. And sometimes things that look really good that you imagine are going to look really good together when you see it live, it's it's clear, no, that's not the right, that's not the right pathway. (laughs) Wow. I want to go back to your history. How did this all begin for you, this this affinity for uh, helping people change their living spaces? I actually started out in fashion, um, and I was a wardrobe stylist for TV commercials and, um, a few TV shows, and then I was a window stylist, and then I um, I got married, and we ended up moving to the Netherlands for my husband's job, and uh, we were living in Amsterdam, and um, that's where my babies were born. But one of the things that I just found amazing, that city, of course, is so old, and these 400-year-old buildings that they had redone the interiors of with these really clean, modern interiors, and I loved that dichotomy. And so while we were over there, I wasn't working, but I just was sort of taking all that in. And they also have this concept of kozelig, which means cozy, but it's more than just the American version of cozy. It can be an experience or a meal or a space. And so when we moved back to the States uh, and I 
decided to uh, go back to work, I wanted to work in interiors rather than clothing and to kind of just always keep in mind that idea of Hazelig and um, I, t I try to make it a modern version of that so that, you know, things are very clean but also warm and inviting. When we talk about TV shows, uh, don't have to name the shows unless you want to, but that that whole wardrobe thing, I've always I'm intrigued. How does that work? And I've I've worked on TV commercials before. Uh, I'm always wondering how it gets decided what somebody's going to wear. Does it come from a director, producer? Does it come from an actor, or is it they just give you an idea of the direction and then you just come up with the the wardrobe for the the actor? Usually, I would meet with the director and um, and talk about the palette and and the characters and what, you know, we were looking for. And then I would um, do a big, big shop. So I was in New York at the time. So I was shopping all over New York City. And you show up with these big rolling racks of clothes for the characters. And mm. um, hopefully, hopefully the actors have given you correct sizing. I learned early wow. on that they don't always. So you have to buy things in a little bit of a range of size, um, but it's um, ultimately the decision is made by the the director and maybe an ad agency, the people from the ad agency or the clients for the product that, you know, depending on the situation, a lot of people can weigh in. I swear I'm a size six. I swear I am. <laughs> well, that was fun when I was doing windows with mannequins because they didn't, <laughs> you always knew what size they were. Yeah, that's interesting too. I, are they usually a lot of the same size? I know nowadays, um, just for you know, diversity in size, uh, there's there's different size mannequins, but it, essentially, are they typically around the same size? When I was doing that, they were. I love now that you see all these different kinds sure. of mannequins, but the ones I was working with were all the same size. <laughs> but they never would... You know, if you didn't like the outfit, you had to take their arms up. They couldn't change out of the clothes themselves, which I missed <laughs> from the actors. Never thought of that. Uh, what is your what is your favorite room to do, to redo? Mm, probably living rooms, I think, um, because that's where people really gather. Um, I mean... Bedrooms also are, are fun, because, but they're much more private. But um, living rooms are fun to imagine, you know, how people are going to be um, utilizing them. After, you know, living through um, the pandemic, We <laughs> living rooms were used for a lot. They were gyms and movie theaters and mm. wrestling forums and dance stages, you know. So... Um, it, that really, I've always been a fan of flexible um, furnishings. I love ottomans that can double as tables or extra seating or be moved around. And that whole experience of living through that really reinforced that, that, you know, you, you want to kind of think about how that, can, how that space can be used in multiple ways. While we're talking about living rooms, from memory, is there any living room that, that stands out that had dual purpose? You know, they did something or something unique, a unique feature in a living room. Anything come to mind? Um, 
A lot of times I, I don't have people put a coffee table in, um, which surprises clients sometimes, but especially when they have little kids. Um, I always worry about um, littles banging their head on a hard coffee table. So uh, often I'll, I'll, I'll spec um, upholstered pieces that can be, mm. you know, you know di- various sizes of ottomans that can be moved around easily so that kids can play on the floor <laughs> sure. and roll around with the dog and, and nobody's going to end up needing stitches. <laughs> you bring up a really great point that how often do we use a coffee table? Seriously. Like, i thinking about it. I I don't have one in my current space, but going back, I never used it. All it was was a thing to collect a book or two for show. Uh, maybe you put the TV remote on it, but more times than not, I, I I don't see them really being used. If you know, a lot of people just go in the kitchen or or they just chill on the couch with a cup of coffee. Uh, I I don't even see that you know, the, the functionality and use in them anymore. Yeah, unless, I mean, some people are very specific that they like to sit in front of the TV and eat their dinner, you know, um, and so then you, you do need something, typically. But, like, my living room, my dining, my living room and dining room and kitchen are all one big open space, so it's not, that's not an issue for me, and a lot of houses are being designed that way now, yep. too, so it all kind of flows together, and, and you don't need these only do this in this space. <laughs> well, to your point about the coffee table and eating in front of the TV, I totally get that. But as far as I know, most coffee tables are quite low, and that's a lot of work to eat, you know, more times than not. Right. I just break out right. at the folding serving tables that are uh, in a dark wood tone that matches you know, my living room. And if I really want to do that, I just, you know, I, I have them hidden and I break them out. Uh, let's go back to what you just said, the open concept. Is that still a thing? I think so, um, especially, well, for young families, you know, if somebody's in the kitchen making dinner, you kind of want to be able to see what's happening in the living room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when kids are younger, you know, everybody's sort of in the space and they're doing their homework at, at the dining room table and um, everyone likes to be close or the mom wants them close (laughs) (laughs) to see what's going on. I think that can be really useful. I mean, you have to consider sound um, carrying, and that's another reason why I like to put textiles on the walls because they're absorbent that way. Um, Hmm. Let's talk about that because I I have a personal um, question regarding that. I'm in a studio right now and don't have too much soundproofing, but I do have carpeting, and that does absorb a lot. However, I have one room in my house where I want to absorb, and it's not a large room, but I I want to absorb sound. Not a high ceiling, but the echo is insane. It's a hardwood floor. Do those things on your wall absorb a lot or absorb more sound, tiles and things like that, more than we really realize? There's so many beautiful, like I felt, um, if you, I'm sure you have this in your studio, like those, um, sound boards, fabric boards. Sure. But now you, there's all these companies that do beautiful felt, it's, you know, they're like works of art, really, um, 
but they also they have a dual purpose of you know making things quieter but you can do these beautiful felt tiles or shapes that um, almost look like a quilt or something um, and and can serve as both a piece of art and um, sound absorbent feature sure and it's hard for me to really determine how effective that is because I I do have low pile carpeting in this studio. So mm-hmm. to go, what a difference that makes in itself. <laughs> God, yeah. It's surprising. You would think I have a cathedral ceiling in this little, you know, 10 by 10 room where the, the echo is just insane. While we're talking about things on the wall, photo walls, seems to be a thing now, right? Um, yes. I, I think it's, I love doing photo walls. When we were living in Amsterdam, we had no family there. And um, I did a big, long photo wall down the hallway, and it was so nice because my, my, when, I, when I just had my son, you know, we would look at all the photos, and I would tell him the stories about this grandma or that grandpa or this auntie, and they're just reminders of the people in your life, and they spark stories. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things I love about families is all the stories and you know, this is what your grandpa looked like when he was your age, and mm-hmm. um, and just sort of documenting your your life. Um, but so we, you know, every time we've moved since, we've recreated that, and I love doing that with clients. I love it's I love hearing their stories when when we're choosing the photos and and mounting them. I I feel and myself included in this, and I did a um, not a huge photo wall in in a house that I sold a year and a half ago, uh, we become fixated on how it's going to look. You know, got to make sure they're all color. Got to make sure they're lined up this way and that way. I, I think we overthink it. I really do. Like, what's wrong with having some black and white? Just add some visual interest. I, I like mixing it up with the color and the black and white. I think there's, you know, it's nice when there's something consistent. Maybe all of the frames are white but they don't have to be the same kind of frame. Uh, or maybe they're all black. Or, you know, maybe they're not, but they're, you know, it's really, it's kind of like playing Sudoku. I, I typically um, get some butcher paper out and lay it on the floor and make the shape of whatever the wall is. A lot of times I'll do things in a, um, so that the edges are all in a rectangle. And then I just play with it on the floor until I like the people to all be looking in, not out. <laughs> um, and I like the corners to have bigger photos to kind of ground them. Um, oh. But, yeah, it's, it's like a big puzzle. I, it's, I love doing that. It's really fun. And then um, there are these um, command strips that are... Yes. And those I love because it's uh, much less of a commitment. You know, if you're putting... 40 photos up, um, it's scary to make 40 holes in the wall. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. They're, and they're, they're removable, too. Uh, they're removable, yeah. So um, I love those. I want to pivot back to what you mentioned uh, a couple of moments ago, and that's Amsterdam. And you lived there for a while. You did some work there as well. How does their overall, how does their architecture differ from ours? Well, were living in the center in the um, in the canals and you know the, those buildings are 
so old, hundreds and hundreds of years old, and um, they're very narrow because they were taxed on the width of the buildings. So a lot of them are, um, you know, an apartment will be like four floors and there may be just one or two rooms on each floor. Um, so they're quirky and um, and detailed. And if you're just walking around and, you you know, there's all these funny little details, little carvings in a lot of them, um, and they're also, there's all these rules about the colors that you can paint the buildings. Um, you have to stay within this range of historical colors. So that's part of why it's all very consistent and um, has such an easy feel there. I, I mean, here, my neighborhood, there's houses from all kinds of eras all in half a block. So it's, mm. it doesn't have that same consistency. Um, but people have more freedom, I guess. <laughs> I the one thing when I see pictures and you do have some on your website of uh, an Amsterdam project, um, it's very clean. At least in this example, like the kitchen, very white, very clean. I don't want to say industrial, just very um, non cluttered is the 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 part that I'm getting from it. And the ceilings uh, have some interesting beams on them that add some dimension and uh, and feel to it. Yeah, that was that was our apartment, and that space also we completely redid it, but it was um, all open, and so I wanted because the kitchen was a part of the living room, I wanted it to feel very clean and not kitcheny. Um, I wanted it to kind of blend in. Yeah, and it does. It truly blends in with the rest of the apartment. Um... And nice, like I'm a big fan of that clean. Like I'm gonna, I want to go home today and uh, take stuff off my countertops. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> and isn't it interesting, Jennifer, that we have this stuff out, whether it's in the bedroom, whether it's in the kitchen, whatever room, and we don't realize it's there because we see it every day. And a new set of eyes like yours come in and, and say, this isn't really functional. Why are you doing that? Hey, did you ever think about doing this? What about this? It just, it brings a whole different feel and look to um, your living space, which is one of the reasons why I think somebody needs to hire an interior designer. Just to, it's like a breath of fresh air, just rejuvenating your, your living spaces. Well, editing things can be really liberating. Sure. Um, and and make your house more functional. It's easier to keep clean um, if there's not stuff all over the place. I'm a huge fan of cupboards. Mm. <laughs> I love having enough cupboards that you can put everything away. I don't, you know, I like I like things to be. Um, I like everything to have a home. <laughs> I'm in my brain right now. I'm thinking of my kitchen countertops, and I have like four bottles of flavored syrup for coffee and uh my daughter was into it like six months ago they're still on the countertop she doesn't flavor <laughs> her coffee anymore and i'm thinking about it and they look like they have picture liquor bottles but it, it's with you know flavors um wh why do i still have that there it's just cl imagine what it would look like without that um <laughs> i'm on that i'm on that uh if somebody wants to to connect with you and start the process, whether it's, and we didn't even get to, you know, commercial. We're talking about residential living spaces now. How do they do that? Does it start with just going to your website and starting a conversation? Yeah, generally, um, I think it's good if people are looking for, I always want to make sure I'm the right designer for someone. Mm. Um, 
So I, I always want people to look at my previous work and make sure that it resonates for them, some of it anyway. Um, I'm, more, I'm more modern um, leaning and um, I, I do like to keep things edited and clean, so I want to make sure that feels good to somebody. Um, I'm not somebody who, who says, oh, I'll, I can do any, any um, style or, or design trend or whatever. I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of have my wheelhouse and, um, and, I'm, and that's what I'm good at. So if you're, if you're wanting, you know, really ornate cherry cabinets that are very traditional and maybe in a southern home, that's probab- I'm probably not the right person <laughs> gotcha. for you. No, and I totally understand it, and thank you, thank you for saying that. But I, I do have to say, based on on the photos on your website, while you may be, you know, call it modern, it's it's modern in different categories. So it could be modern rustic, modern farmhouse, if you will. It's got a modern feel to it, but it's not that it's very cold and stoic, if that makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, I don't like cold spaces. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, I think things can be clean and streamlined, but warm. Absolutely, um, and that's so what I, I just find that uncomfortable. It's and, and that's and functional. That's the other part. Every one of these mm-hmm. photos, there's functionality to it. Um, love looking at this stuff. This is I, I should in another life, I think I might have been a designer because <laughs> stuff excites me. If uh, somebody wants to find out more, your name is your website, right? Yes. Yes, jenniferrody.com. And it's just Jennifer and Rody is R-H-O-D-E, jenniferrody.com. Really appreciate you being with us today. Thank you for all the insight. We've got lots to talk about in the future, uh, right down to trends and commercial spaces and all of that. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was going to do it but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.